Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. As everyone knows, yesterday was Mother's Day, a holiday impossible to escape or ignore here in the U.S. or across much of the globe. But not everyone feels like whooping it up on this holiday. Many women have complicated relationships with their mothers. Others mourn lost or absent moms, and many women are not mothers at all, either by choice or by chance. My guest today is Jody Day, a global thought leader and advocate for childless women. Jody is an author, a TEDx speaker, an integrative psychotherapist, and founder of Gateway Women, the global friendship and support network for childless women. She joins me to talk about her book, Living the Life Unexpected, how to find hope, meaning, and a fulfilling future without children and to share her take on how involuntary childlessness impacts life, happiness, intimacy, and more. Welcome, Jodi. Thank you, Katie, for that beautiful intro. Oh, I'm so happy to to have you as a guest today. And uh, as listeners might be able to tell from your your accent that you are not an American, can you share, uh, you know, where you are and where you're joining us from today and a little bit more about your background and how you came to launch Gateway Women? Thank you. Yes. So I'm, I'm speaking today from Ireland, um, from Southern Ireland, from a park called West Cork, uh, which is my home now, um, a rural, a rural place. Um, I'm a Londoner by birth. Um, I grew up in the countryside and then I moved back there as a sort of as a young woman. So I lived, I was a city girl until just four years ago. So it's a big part of my plan B, as I call it, to live a rural life. And I'm now doing that. And I'm very happy. And Gateway Women, uh, my organization, is 10 years old this year, which is amazing. It started as a blog in 2011, uh, me typing into the void, thinking that perhaps maybe if I wrote a blog about my childlessness, somebody would listen, um, because nobody in my personal life understood what I was going through, trying to come to terms at midlife with not being a mother when that had been the plan. And all I would get back is what is what we call uh, bingos, which are these really kind of awful shorthand expressions that close down the conversation when you try to talk about your childlessness, such as, oh, you're still so young, you've still got time, why don't you just adopt here, have one of mine, kids aren't all they're cracked up to be, oh, you dodged a bullet. It, there's a kind of a, a rolling auto cue of about these. And all of us who are childless, not by choice, know them. And those of our sisters who are child-free by choice have similar, slightly different ones. But these can come from even the most empathic and sensitive people around us. Uh, And they kind of really make it hard to talk about our situation. Because what I was talking about, I wasn't asking for advice how to become a mother. At 46, I'd accepted that wasn't going to happen. And after 11 years of unexplained infertility in my marriage, and then not finding another partner when I got divorced to kind of try IVF with. It's like, it was kind of game over for me. But nobody would let me talk about that. They just wanted to tell me ways that they'd heard at the bus stop that I could become a mother. And so that's how Gateway Women started. And here we are a decade later, got a social reach of 2 million around the world, running workshops, support communities, my book. And, you know, some people have now called me the patron saint of childlessness. 
or my most recent favorite is actually the Beyonce of childlessness. Uh -huh. Although I have to say, I have neither the outfits nor the moves. Oh my gosh. I actually saw that when I, you know, spent some time Googling you, looking you up. I did see you referred to as the Beyonce of childlessness, <laughs> which, you know, totally cracked me up. But it also made it sound, as you, you were joking, like somewhat glamorous. Uh, but you just alluded to how uh, painful it could be at times. And when I got a chance to, um, you know, quickly go through your book, which you shared with me, you, you write a lot about uh, the grief of this loss. You know, you just shared with all of our listeners right now some of the, uh, you know, insensitive to sort of unkind things that you might have heard. You know, what does this you know, grief look like for people? Um, you, you know, you, you've experienced it firsthand. You are part of a community of women sharing about this. You know, what, what don't people understand who are on the, you know, the other side? Well, interestingly, it's not just those who are on the other side, as you call it. Many women who are childless not by choice do not realize that what they are experiencing is grief. I didn't realize it was grief. I mean, I was in the second year of my training to become a psychotherapist, and we were doing a, a sort of a training on bereavement. And I was learning about you know this model, the five stages of grief, and I was thinking, this feels awfully familiar. You know, and I went home that evening and I mapped it out against my experience of childlessness. And I realized it was a perfect fit that I was grieving. And I was hugely relieved for two reasons. Number one, I realized I wasn't going mad because anyone who's had an experience with grief will know that the internal cognitive world of grief is incredibly confusing. And number two, I understood that grief was a process. I didn't know how, but I knew that one day I would be on the other side of this experience, and that gave me hope. And at that point, I became a bit of a grief junkie, and I started to really explore and understand what disenfranchised grief is and how it manifests in childlessness and how we can support ourselves through it. And how are you able to bring that to other women and help them translate their grief into or, or process it? And um achieve, you know, perhaps peace uh, with their situation? I think the number one thing that I've come to understand is that grief is a form of love. And like love, it needs that beloved. It needs the other. Grief is a social emotion. It cannot exist in a vacuum. You know, if it was possible to, to, you know, to get through grief on our own, in our heads, in our rooms, we all would have done it by now. But we actually need community. And that's probably the number one thing that Gateway Women provides is it connects childless women with each other. Because when you talk about your grief, even online, and you, someone absolutely gets what you're talking about and they don't close you down and they don't shame you and they don't say, aren't you over that or anything like that. They actually understand what you're talking about. Grief is, it heals your heart, but it heals your heart in community and in empathic connection. Grief is not the problem. Grief is actually the solution. It's also the engine of change. We cannot change. We cannot move forward with our lives in any situation without letting go of something. And we cannot let go of anything without grief. Learning to work with your grief and actually allow the wisdom of it to enable you to change, I think it's a deeply misunderstood human experience and it is. It's the engine of change. I'm a huge grief fan. I am. I have a shiver like that ran up my spine when you said that that grief was a 
this sort of this engine of change. And I, I just felt that um, that is such a beautiful way of looking at it and that it, it's not a problem, it's a solution, and that it's something that must be experienced in connection to other people for it to, you know, sort of alchemize into that, that change that can help um, us feel community and connection. And I, I feel like the, the globe is in this, this collective period of grief that we've gone through um, together during the pandemic, um, and that that the way out, the way uh, through this moment in time for us is to is to be together. And it makes so much sense that for a woman who's struggling with the grief of of uh, you know of not being a mother, that finding community is, is so key. You and online and online works beautifully. I mean, it's sometimes you know to be able to know you know, our online community, there's an app for it as well. And I always say, you know, we're always in your back pocket. You know, if you've got to go to that baby shower, if someone in your office has just put their scan, you know, their sonogram on the company intranet, you know, you can always kind of check into your community of childless women and go, you won't just believe what just happened. And there's kind of 800 women there that, that, that get why that's difficult for you and get that it doesn't mean you're not happy for the woman who's pregnant that it's not about jealousy, it's not about envy, it's not about bitterness, it's about, it's really hard for me to be happy for her when nobody will let me have my feelings around this. And that's why it's so important. That is such fantastic advice for people who are on the listening end of this, and I'm like processing it through my, for myself as well, just to how can I um, be supportive to, to the women in my life who who might be struggling with this? And that there are these moments where we might be insensitive in ways that we're not aware of and just kind of by like raising our, our radar around how we maybe communicate and share could be one way. But the a, a woman came on my show several episodes ago, a woman by the name of Terry Cheney, who talked about her her struggle with bipolar disorder and her her challenges with you know managing her mental health. And she talked she also talked about the fact that it, it's so key to ask people how they're doing and then to truly listen. And that when people jump in and try to help, you know, she's been offered every remedy under the sun. You know, you must talk to my therapist or my yoga teacher, or I've heard eating blueberries is amazing and, and you know, could help you. And it, it felt so alienating to have the people in her life not hear what she was saying, you know, to, to, to jump in to fix rather than to listen. And, and when she said that, I literally had to check myself because I, you know, want to sometimes jump in and offer people advice. And, and that's not a that's not a generous way of behaving. So thank you for reminding us that that listening sometimes You're very is welcome. needed. And, and those statements that she she talked about in a way, those were her bingos. Those were the things she heard again and again from people. And in that moment, that pause, you know, when someone tells you about a situation that is incredibly uncomfortable and painful, when we jump in with advice or we jump in with, because often those bingos I talked about, people genuinely think they're being helpful by suggesting that you might try adoption as if you haven't or if, you know, or as if it's a possibility for you that you might not have considered. I promise you, we will have considered it. <laughs> but um, it's, it's, there's a moment of discomfort. And in that moment, I believe one of the reasons we struggle with someone else's discomfort in that moment and jump to fix it is because we are empathic creatures. And in that moment, we feel their grief. We feel their loss. 
And what it does is it, it triggers our own unhealed griefs and losses. So in order to kind of move it away from that moment, we offer advice. And it's, it's a sort of a socially acceptable thing to do, but it's kind of a way of putting a Band-Aid, not just on their pain, but on our discomfort. And as you said, the really generous thing to do is just take a breath. Just take a breath. Don't say that first thing that comes to mind and listen. We are all going to be better listeners after the show. This is such a good reminder because I I committed myself to this, you know, five episodes ago, and I, I've had to be reminded of this. And uh, I'm I'm so grateful that I'm having the opportunity to like bring like put this back in the front of my brain again. So listen- it's, t- it's very tempting. I mean, it's totally tempting for me to do the same. It's a very natural human response. I mean, as a trained therapist, we're trained to notice what our first response is. And think to ourselves inside with our internal supervisor, go, that's interesting that that's what I want to say. And then we say, well, (laughs) and then we say something else. But the instinct to fix is very natural. It's just it's not always the most helpful. So what are some helpful things? You know, we 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 both agree that listening needs to be perhaps the first uh, offering that you that you bring to the table when you're having these conversations with um, people going undergoing anything that 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 you might want to uh, alleviate their suffering. What else helps? What else would you recommend? So, if for listeners on the show who might be. Um, you know, who have experienced uh, the loss of being a mother themselves that have perhaps have, you know, children in their their lives, young, you know, adult daughters who are struggling with infertility. What are some things that are helpful that you can recommend to support people? What's been helpful to you when, when somebody's responded to you in a particular way? What does that look like? It's really rare. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have, that's, uh, that's I don't think awful. I have any examples in my personal life. <laughs> of any helpful comments around this. Um, I think possibly imagining, you know, having a a daughter or a relative or a friend going through it and you you have children of your own and you really would like to be sensitive. Probably uh, probably my comment is like, whatever it is you're thinking of saying first, just park that and maybe ask an open question. Be curious. Instead of presuming, oh, it's been X amount of time, she'll be in a different place with that or something, Kind of, how are you doing with this today? So you really leave it open to them. Um, is this something you kind of want to talk about? They might not. They might be having a great day. I mean, that's one of the really confusing things about grief is someone. Sometimes someone can be experiencing deep grief and look great, and sometimes they can actually be having a good day and they don't really want to go there. So that can make it really difficult to support us. Because we get so used to not talking about how we're feeling as as childless women and um, women and couples struggling with infertility, that we actually don't give out enough information for people to sort of know how to respond to us. And then when they get it wrong, we sort of, you know, we, we leave and we lick our wounds and we share even less. So it's almost like building that bridge to allow them to make yourself a safe person for them to talk to so that you don't you don't have any expectations of their answer and if they say actually I'm doing really good with it today thanks leave it at that but it might they might want to tell you much more and also I would really encourage anyone dealing with someone like this in their life or in their workplace is just not to presume that the way they were last week or last month or last year is how they are now so they might not have wanted to come to baby showers or children's parties, and now they're okay with it. But then a month from now, 
they might be really struggling with it. So really allow them the humanity to kind of, you know, they haven't arrived at a settled position with this new identity yet, which is their childless identity. Because grief is a process of identity transformation. And identities, yes, identities are always evolving. I mean, that's a big part of what we're talking about this month uh, on a certain age. We're talking about the evolving of relationships, the evolving of of identity. And I love that you flagged that, um, you know, that there are days when and times when it's good and there are days and times when things are, are, are a struggle. And we we see that in our own lives. So we need to sort of allow that, um, you know, we need to look at other other people's lives through that same filter, that there is an evolution. Have you found for your your um, your own situation in your own life that aging in any way has affected how you relate to your your struggle with infertility how you how you feel about it has it you know yeah. lessened uh, it or does it does it does it not impact well it is my grief evolves with me i'm now 56 i'll be 57 soon and what i've really noticed uh, is that my children the children that only live in my heart but not in my life are aging with me. So for example, you know, a decade ago, it would be probably children around the age of nine, that if I would see them in the street, or I'd see an interaction with their parents, you know, it would really touch my heart, and it would be painful for me. Um, and now I notice that it's actually the interactions of, of young parents, you know, of young adults with their parents, that that I find most affecting. But because grief has healed my heart so much bigger than it was, you know, it has really transformed me. I mean, now I would say that instead of it feeling like a sort of horse kick in the heart, it's more of a cocktail stick to the heart. You know, I've learned how to deal with the grief. And it's like, oh, all right, I'm not going to get that either. Right. The next big transition for me, and I'm a little bit afraid of it. I'm, I'm hopeful that I'm, you know, I'm fully prepared for it, but you never know, is my friends becoming grandmothers. Because that is another big life transition and big life identity that I'm not, not any, and I'm not going to get to experience personally, but I'm not going to share with my peers. And from what I understand of my members, that can be incredibly difficult because it can be that your friends, their children kind of grow up, they leave the nest, hopefully, and you get a chance maybe to reconnect with some of your old friends who are no longer quite subsumed in family life as they were. And then suddenly, five years later, 10 years later, 15 years later, it happens all over again. And some women, I'm afraid, can become just as much grandchildren bores as they were mother bores. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can totally, I can totally see that. And I, I feel like I have, in, in my own personal life, I have, you know, a number of very close girlfriends that I adore that I'm in great touch with. And many of them are moms and many of them are not. And I... Uh, you know, I hope that I'm respectful of, respectful of my friends and, and you know, that, that I ask about their jobs and their interests and their their nieces and nephews that they're really, you know, like excited about and, and in love with and that I am respectful. But it's I, I hear what you're saying. Sometimes uh, you do feel that you don't want to be imposing your family life on your on your friends without them and that they probably do feel left out at times because you often do spend time with um you know, people who have kids your age too. So yes, how would and that's so another of the big issues, which is that if like me, for example, everyone I knew in my family, in my social circle, in my work acquaintances, everyone else I knew who wanted to be a mum 
became a mum. Every single one. I knew two child-free women by choice, but that was it. Everyone else kind of got the life they wanted in one shape or another. Um, and one of the really difficult things was that I didn't just, I lost all my friends. You know, they didn't, you know, they didn't break up with me. They just moved to another country called Motherland, where I didn't speak the language. I didn't have the passport. It was too painful for me to visit for quite some time. And they got a whole new set of friends with their new life. And there was an imagining, I think they sometimes imagined that I was having the life that we'd all had together in our 20s. But they sort of forgot that I didn't actually have a spare set of friends in the airing cupboard to grow. You know, I lost my friends. I lost my friendship group and I got I lost my currency. And that I call it the hashtag friendship apocalypse of childlessness. And it's devastating. And when it happened to me at first, I just thought I was a really bad friend. I thought I just, you know, but actually, as I started to write about it and talk to other childless women, I discovered so many of us were experiencing this. However, I am noticing in some of my younger members and younger women in my life as well, is that it is becoming much less likely that there is no one in your social circle who is also childless. The rates of childlessness are going up. The, uh, the numbers of millennials who are, um, are having children by the age of 30 in the US is so much less than it's ever been. And that is quite a strong predictor for later childbearing. Obviously, women are having children later, but smaller families, you know, and some of those women are going to be childless, not by choice. Absolutely. Jody. It, um, we're going to take a very quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk about a chapter in your book that caught me uh, caught my eye. You uh, talk about plan B and DIY happiness. So I want to hear what that looks like and how we can put it into action after this break. Menopause is inevitable, but the symptoms that accompany it don't have to be. Meet Kendra, the company that will make your peri to post-menopause journey smoother. As a big believer that midlife is more fun with girlfriends, I absolutely love that Kendra cultivates community and shares resources so you feel supported at every turn. Their private Facebook group is a place to ask questions and connect with other women navigating the same terrain. All May, a certain age is exploring different types of relationships and how they evolve in midlife. Kendra also offers products that can support romantic relationships, including the Daily Vaginal Lotion, which helps lessen pain during intimacy, and the Core Supplement, which is clinically proven to boost libido. Who doesn't want better pain-free sex? Kinder has a generous offer for certain age listeners. Any first-time purchasers or subscribers get 20% off anything. Use code KD20 at checkout. That's K-A-T-I-E-2-0. Head to ourkinder.com for menopause essentials that work. All right, Jody, we're back. I want to explore this this notion of Plan B, which you referenced at the top of the show, and and this notion of DIY happiness, and that you say that being child free means relying on yourself for happiness and purpose, because you know you're not relying on your children. Some parents fall into the role of the meaning in their life comes from their kids. Their kids are their source in this wellspring of happiness. And when you don't have children, you're, you, you know, you, you are forced to, to DIY your own happiness. And I think this is something I really want to talk about because I feel that even if you have children, you should still be able to DIY your own happiness 
that is separate from them. Because when children are all the source of meaning and happiness in a life, you know, kids can feel smothered. Women, mm-hmm. women can lose their identity and sort of postpone their own happiness. So I feel that, you know, listeners on the show who don't have children, but listeners on the show who do have children need to hear more about these tools that you refer to because it's valuable for anybody. Thank you. And I would also just like to say the idea of sort of, you know, women who become over-identified with motherhood and perhaps, you know, become motherhood bores, as I call them. I've got a great deal of sympathy for them. I'm pretty sure I would have been one of them. You know, I I would have been boring for Britain about my kids because I was so (laughs) desperate for that identity. You know, I spent so many years longing for it, planning for it, trying for it. And also, I came from an unhappy home. I'd had an unhappy childhood. Motherhood was about more than having children. I wanted to create a perfect family. I'm going to put that in inverted commas for the radio because, of course, I didn't come from one and there aren't any. Right. Uh, you know, I'm a psychotherapist. Um, so it's like I but I think that desire can tip over into collapsing your identity into motherhood. And as you say, that that can be a really challenging thing to pull yourself out of. It can be very challenging for your children as well to be, you know, the center of the universe in that way. I've noticed that my friendships that have survived or that I've met since being childless um, are with women who haven't collapsed their identity into motherhood. They are still them and they are great mums. But, you know, they never introduce themselves as so-and-so's mum. They never use their children's photographs on Facebook. They're kind of very respectful of their children's boundaries and their own. Now, I think perhaps... I love that. Jody. I have to stop for one second. I remember walking into my kid's pediatrician's office and the doctor referred to me as mom. He he kept saying things like, "Mom, this is what's going on. Mom, this is what's going on." And I like remember being like, "I'm not your mom. Like, why are you talking to me this way?" And I'm more than just a mother. And so I I, I do I really I, I connect with that. You know, women, you can love being a mother, but still feel uh, that you have your own identity. And um, I think that that's so important. And this show is a big part of talking about identity and transformation as we age and sort of taking center stage in our own lives or or, or creating a new chapter as, as we sort of move in, into midlife and beyond. So let's I, give us all your DII happiness wisdom because <laughs> I am here for it. <laughs> what well, can we do? How can you build? What are your tips for building and claiming your own happiness and identity? I think for me, it was about really going through that transformation, going through the process of grief, because grief is, uh, grief basically deletes all the bullshit. You really end up knowing who you are, who your friends are, and really what excites you. Because it's, it's such a powerful experience in terms of its energy drain on you as well. The only thing that is going to get you out of bed and get you excited is something that has purpose and meaning. And really, that is where, I mean, happiness Happiness is a transient thing, but it often arises out of engaging in things that feel purposeful and that have meaning for us. And meaning is incredibly elusive and utterly vital. And people say to me, well, I don't know what my meaning is. And I say, well, it's a bit like falling in love. You know, when you're a young person and I remember, you know, you talk to grownups and say, well, what, you know, what is love? What? And they say, you'll know it when you feel it. And then you have your first experience of falling in love and you think, oh, this was what they were talking about. And finding your meaning feels like that. 
but it's not a one-shot deal. You have to keep, as your identity changes and you age, as you said before, what feels meaningful, what feels purposeful, that starts to change as well. And the difference between meaning and purpose, purpose is what you do with the meaning that you have. So in a way, purpose is often the, the outward expression of that inward meaning. And so I'd what does say that, that mean? That sounds like that sounds like a like, that sounds like a very cool like almost a riddle. What what does that mean? Can you break that down for us? Purpose versus meaning? Because I'm curious yeah, about they're this. They're often sort of you know they're often blended together. Purpose is you can see what someone's purpose is because it usually bears out in their actions. Um, it's what they it's what they actually do when they get up in the morning. It helps them to make the decisions about how they're going to live their life but it is informed by what is meaningful to them. And meaning is, I think meaning is almost like an energy source. When you're tapped into your meaning, rather like when you're tapped into love, you have the energy to move forward with things. You have the energy to commit to things. And without it, meaninglessness, it's like a sort of a negative energy sink. You, you can't get anything done. And I think it's really okay that your kids give you that sense of meaning. I think, you know, human beings you know it's evolution was smart to make that work for us because they can give you the energy to do things you don't have the energy for because it's meaningful for you and meaningful for them it just becomes a problem when that's that's all you do so i think it's basically a voyage of self-discovery dark night of the soul and a lot of experimentation about well what what brings me joy what lights me up where is my mojo and how can i find it and my book is full of tips of basically excavating your mojo because once she is back at the center of your life making your decisions then things start to change not everyone will be pleased about that but things <laughs> will change i love that i i you've really crystallized something that i feel for myself i mean people will often say to me like you have a day job and you've got like kids and there's like puppy and like how are you doing the podcast and like i am so excited and lit up by having these conversations that it doesn't feel like work. And, you know, the, the, the sense of connective tissue that I have with having conversations with amazing women makes the, uh, you know, it sets me in motion. Like it makes me get up and find guests and read their books and have the conversations and create the graphics I, and schedule and do this and do that because I love it. And I, th I, I think that- I completely understand it. Women, I'm always asking, you know, how do you keep going? How do you do what you do to me? You know, after a decade, you know, aren't you aren't you fed up with this subject? And and I it's for me, it's the same thing is that I'm, I'm passionate about it. And the work gives me the energy to do the work. It's not an energy sink. It feeds my soul. If it didn't feed my soul, I wouldn't have the energy to do it. You know, I've got midlife menopausal insomnia. You know, I'm, I'm permanently got I'm permanently on two bars recharged now. I have a couple of episodes you need to listen to, Jody. I, I have a lot of tips on menopause. <laughs> so if it didn't fire me up, light me up, I actually couldn't do it. Yes, I totally agree. That's so it's so um, it's so important to connect to what, what's lighting you up. And, and that is a theme of this show that the women that come on talk about the um the passions that they're that are driving them the the sort of confidence that midlife gives them to let them kind of very much hone in on what it is they want to be doing how they want to be in their lives and how they show up for themselves because that's a big part of it it's not just what do i want but how do i commit to myself and and uh, move my projects forward 
So quick question for you. You are a Londoner living in Ireland, but your Gateway Women is global. You have things happening here in the U.S. where most of my listeners are. I would love for you to share a little bit about your work in the U.S. and how people might access it. Absolutely. So things, some things have gone a bit quiet in the pandemic, um, but we'll be starting to wake up again. We have what's called our gateway gatherings, which are our free social meetups. So you can actually uh, you can meet women uh, like like you in your local area. Uh, we did have about thirty of those across the U.S. Um, they're now online. There's a handful of them online, but they will be waking up again soon. We have our global online community. We have many, many American members in our online community. And we also have our Reignite Weekends. So something that came out of the pandemic, our Reignite Weekends is the two-day workshop that I created um, back in 2012 now, Going Strong, which is a kind of a healing and transformational weekend for childless women, which kind of takes you through the grief journey, but then very much into the plan B, very much into the, the tools that you've been talking about. Well, how do I put this information into action in my life. Because we had to cancel all of the in-person ones, we moved it online um, in 2020, which means it's now available in North America as well. And we've got uh, another one of those coming up in July, 17th, 18th, and then later in the year as well. So that's really exciting because before it used to be, you know, often me me coming to America to lead those workshops, uh, which I will do again one day, but uh, not, not, not for a couple of years at the moment by the looks of things. It sounds like a lot of wonderful offerings. Uh, Before I let you go, are there any other sort of products or or tools or or talks, resources that you have found to be valuable in your own life as you navigate this? Yes, um, there's a wonderful community in America um, organized by a lady called Katie, which is called Chasing Creation, which I would really direct, you know, your listeners to if they want to. That's really about childlessness after infertility. Gateway Women supports women who are childless for any reason. And most women who are childless, uh, 80% of women who are childless are childless by circumstance. One of the biggest circumstances is being single when that wasn't your choice. So we offer a lot of support around that. And the day after Mother's Day, over the Mother's Day weekend, we will have had two free webinars and the recordings for those will be up on the website with tools about how to kind of manage Mother's Day. And I think it can be really helpful to to join our community and get support from other women around the world who've been through Mother's Day this weekend just gone and plan how you'd like to do it differently next year. Because often we let these days, these difficult days, like Mother's Day and Christmas, ambush us thinking that perhaps they might be different this year. And the way to make them different is to do something different. Absolutely. I was very surprised to learn from your website that one in five women over 45, you know, are childless, either by chance, by choice, by, you know, for whatever reason. And that's a big number. So it's so important to know that communities out there, communities like yours, women um, who can support you, that you can feel where you can be seen. In, in, in ways that, that you may not be in your other communities, even if they are, you know, loving and, and kind yeah. and supportive. It's it's nice to be with people who totally get it. We are everywhere. You know, we are one in five, one in six in the US. Someone you know is struggling with this. Maybe you've presumed that because they don't talk about it, that they chose not to have children. But maybe someone you know, someone you support, someone you love is really struggling with this. 
And I would just I would just ask you to be curious and empathic and listen and see if there's something you can do to help. Absolutely. And I think that anyone who's listening to this show would benefit from spending some time on your website, because as you pointed out, these are these are our friends. These are the women in our lives. These are our, um, you know, our neighbors. These are our, our friends. These are our relatives. These are the women that we work with. And you can learn. So even if this is not your particular journey, you can learn so much and, and just be a better friend to somebody. In your I, life. I did. My TED talk is called The Lost, the Lost Tribe of Childless Women. And if so, you can Google that and find it. It's in 18 minutes. I, I wrote it to those people who aren't childless, to the parents of the world, to help us, to help them understand us. So perhaps if you're curious about what it's like to be us and how to support us, watch my TED Talk. I'm putting it into the show notes. Jody. how can, <laughs> how can my listeners keep following you and your work in Gateway Women? Absolutely. The website, um, gateway-women.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Gateway Women and um, in the online community pretty much every day on Mighty Networks. You can find all the details on the Gateway Women website. Jody, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a delight. Thank you. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. If you enjoyed this week's show, please head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to review the show. Reviews help us grow, so do your thing. Join me next week when we continue to explore relationships in midlife. I'm joined by writer Laura Williams, author of the book, Available, a memoir of sex and dating after a marriage ends. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. 